Well, Friday I was watching the news, and I don't know how many of you caught this, but the Milwaukee Marathon just happened recently. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a marathon there. And uh, it was on the news, even in Arizona, because of this. Uh, after the race was completed, so the runners have already finished the race, for whatever reason, they went back to actually remeasure the race. Now, if you don't know, a marathon is 26.2 miles. Any marathon runners in here? Show of hands? Yeah, maybe one? Okay. Uh, so 26.2 miles. They went back to measure the race after it was completed and realized this. It was eight-tenths of a mile short of a marathon. And so our one marathon, Danny Dorte, marathoner, knows this. You guys can just imagine this. The work, the sacrifice, the dieting it takes to run and just complete a marathon. Can you imagine that? Now, there's people who just complete marathons, but there's also people who compete in marathons. right? There's people who compete to qualify for the holy grail of marathons, the Boston Marathon, right? And the thing about the Milwaukee Marathon is a couple people did. They crushed it so hard, their times were good enough to qualify for the Boston Marathon, but they got to the end, and the Boston Marathon said this, get this, they said, great job, great times, but it does not count. It's eight-tenths of a mile short. It doesn't count. Right now, you or I who doesn't run marathons are like, what's the big deal, Right? They ran almost 26 miles. Like, I run to the street and into the street and back, and that's a lot, right? Just give it to them, but, but it was just short, right? It, it did not count for their purposes. Now, if you just try to imagine that, put yourself in their shoes. These guys who qualified the, for this probably had been working for this for years, sacrificing at the expense of other important things in their life. To gain this one thing, the Boston Marathon, and to actually think they had it, but be told, it doesn't count. It doesn't add up to what you thought it did. Now, most of us, we're never going to experience that in a race, but all of us can experience that in life, can't we? Uh, today, we're going to talk about money and possessions, and we're going to see that, that money and possessions are often things we, we work towards Right, We sacrifice towards, at the expense of other things, our faith and our family, other important things, we work towards money and possessions all of our life as the holy grail that one day we'll get it and it will provide us meaning and satisfaction and purpose and that we could get to the end of all that and realize it doesn't count. It doesn't add up to what you thought. And so this morning in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Matthew chapter 6, he's going to, in his grace, save us from that emptiness. He's not only going to save us from the emptiness of that and just say, no, just don't use money or possessions. No, he's going to show us how to use it, not just for selfish gain, but for eternal impact. So it does matter in the end. And so we're going to look at that briefly this morning. Matthew chapter 6, if you don't have a Bible out already, uh, grab one next to you, pull it up on an app. And look at Matthew 6, verse 19. If you take notes, we're going to see two things this morning that, about money that Jesus says we want to see it rightly and we want to surrender it fully. So as you look at money and possessions, we want to see it rightly, have a good perspective, a kingdom perspective on it. And then in response to that, we want to surrender it fully. So we'll talk about what that looks like. First, we want to see it rightly. Look at verse 19. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Jesus is going to give us two options in this passage. There is either treasure on earth or there's treasure 
in heaven. Right? Notice if you look at that, there's, there's not an option not to have treasure. You see, here's what I know some of us are thinking and what I know some of what Jesus' audience must have thought when Jesus says this. is Some of them, some of us might think, hey, hey I'm good. I don't have any treasures. In fact, I'm broke, right? And so this is a sermon like it's for somebody else who has an amazing career or came from a wealthy family. But for me, I can just tune out and check scores on my phone. Well, no, you can't, right? Because the implication from Jesus here is that all of us have treasures, however great, however small. It's just a matter of where do we lay them up? Do you see that? Do we lay them up in heaven or do we lay them up on earth? Do they last or do they not last? That's the question we're going to answer today. And look at what Jesus says in verse 19. He actually gets really logical. He says, don't lay up treasures on earth. Why, Jesus? Well, because moth and rust can destroy them. Thieves can steal them. It won't last. It's just like when we say today, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. I don't know why I say that with a Texas accent. It just makes sense, right? <laughs> but this is true, isn't it? You never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Why? Because you can't take it with you. Despite the fact that that's not true, how much in history, when you go back to the Egyptian times, they're buried with gold, how much today do we try to take it with us? We try to invest in some stocks, to get the right house, buy the right car, and maybe we don't ever let ourselves fully think it through, but we think, it'll last. It'll provide fulfillment and joy and meaning in my life. And Jesus is going to say, no, no, no. Treasures on earth, they get eaten up, literally, by moth, by rust. Thieves come along and steal these things. They won't last. That if you pursue these things at the expense of other things, you will get to the end and hear the heartbreaking story of, it does not count. A good job in your, in your success and your status and your career. Good job building up all that wealth, but it doesn't amount to what you thought. You can't take it with you. Jesus makes that very clear. Now, for Jesus' audience in this day, their common treasures were most likely grain, gold, and clothing. Right? For us, our, our treasures really aren't that different. Right? That we have food. We have clothing, we have possessions, and we have money, right? What is different is, is this, that we have advancements with these things, with these possessions and with this money that give the appearance of permanence. You see, in Jesus' day, they didn't have those appearances of permanence. You try to put yourself in their shoes, in their context, that as Jesus is sharing this, that a moth, rust, thieves, can destroy all of this. His audience, whether they did anything with this or not, that's a different story, but his audience would have felt that to the core because they would have looked at their grain, they would have looked at their clothing, they would have looked at their gold, and they would be able to say, yeah, Jesus, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, this, this could be gone tomorrow. They would have felt that, that, that urgency that Jesus is wanting them to feel. And listen, here's my fear for us is that we don't feel that. Even this morning, we, we don't feel it. I mean, we hear it from Jesus. I know it can go away. I know it won't last. But there's a semblance of permanence. Why? Because we have climate-controlled storage units, right? 
We have insurance. We have security systems that talk to us. Right? We have cleaning supplies that they didn't have. We have the ability to, to maintain things and to preserve them and to keep them. You see, my fear for us is that, is that we can buy into the lie, that we can delay and deny the decay. We can delay and deny the decay. Like, well, let's just not think about that right now. These things will last. I mean, let's just not think about that one day we will die and they're going to go somewhere else and eventually they're going to burn up. But let's not think about that because we can preserve them because we have so many advancements that they didn't have. And see, my fear for us is that we won't feel this, this truth that Jesus is talking about, that everything, possessions, money will decay. It's just a matter of when. Randy Alcorn wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. Highly recommend it. He said this. He said, ever seen that bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toy wins? Millions of people act as if it were true. The more accurate saying is this. He who dies with the most toys still dies and never takes his toys with him. All right, we got kids in the service. Kids, what are popular toys right now? Legos. Legos. I know, I know from my house, here's a popular toy. See if you guys resonate with this. LOL dolls. Front row, thank you for that. LOL dolls are the popular toy in my house. Parents, if you don't know what those are, God bless you. Um, just, just keep praying, right, that you won't know what LOL dolls are because these things get lost, right? They're little dolls. They get lost at a friend's house, at a, our community group. They get lost all the way around the house. And listen, it is like crisis mode when they get lost. But at the time when they get them, they're a treasure, right? They're a treasure. And that lasts for a little while. It lasts till they get lost or till my two-year-old paints one of them. True story. And they last for a little while, but eventually they, they fade. You know how I know this, kids? What, was, what do you think was a popular toy when I was a kid? Legos. Legos, they've lasted. Here's one toy that was really popular and personal for me. Sega Genesis. Any, anybody know what that is? Kids, just answer. No idea. You know why? Listen, Jonas, you know why you don't know what that is? Because it's not around anymore. Right? But for me, when I was a kid, Sega Genesis was it. Right? I mean, I had to get all the games and learn all the secret codes. Right? And it was the big deal. But guess what? A few years later, it doesn't even count. It doesn't matter. It's faded away. And so listen, from adults to kids, we all know this if we'll let ourselves think about it. No matter how many advancements in our technology that we have, things eventually fade. And that's what Jesus is getting at. There's an earthly treasure that we want to, we have a tendency to, a propensity to, to invest in at the expense of other important things. And Jesus is going to say, no, that's fragile. But I'm faithful invest into something different. There's a different kind of treasure, and it's a heavenly treasure. Look at verse 20. He says, lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear passages like this taught, and when I've read passages like this, that typically it's easy to think about the negative, right? Everything I just said. Like, don't lay up treasures on earth. So don't uh, overinvest into career, wealth, status, things. And it's easy to think about that and just say, well, don't do that. Jesus says not to pray and go home, right? Have you guys experienced that? But I always ask the question, well, 
how do we lay up treasures in heaven? Right? Because that's a command also. Right? Do not lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. So Jesus, what does that look like? Here's, here's a few things. That we want to look at what we experience in life, and we want to see things that hold value, not just for this life, but for the next. That hold eternal weight and value. Things like Christ-like character. Things like growing in the knowledge of Christ, who one day will see face to face. Things like proclaiming and practicing the love of Christ so that others in eternity can see Jesus face to face. That we want to use our money, our possessions to bless others. 1 Timothy 6 1 Timothy 6, look that up later. It's a really key passage that affirms a lot of what Jesus is saying. It says to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share. Rich in good works, generous, ready to share. To use our money and possessions, not for selfish gain, but for kingdom impact. These are laying up eternal treasures. This is what Jesus talked about in Luke 12 when he talked about purses that will never wear out. Ladies, can you imagine? Purses that will never wear out. These are kingdom citizens. This is how we handle money and possessions. We lay it up in heaven. And so it's not that money and possessions are bad. They're just not the point. Right? They're not the point. They're tools for the kingdom to proclaim, to practice the love of Jesus Christ through what he has generously given to us. And so Jesus gives us a kingdom perspective on money. Now, this is about the time where our inner defense attorney, attorney comes out. All right, we all have one of these, an inner defense attorney, that, that we look at a sensitive topic like money and possessions. And listen, all of us have different backgrounds. All of us have different contexts when it comes to this. And for some of us, even right now, you're thinking, well, Tim, I don't have a lot. I mean, this really is a struggle for other people, but it's not for me. Like, I don't have very much. Right, some of you are thinking, well, Tim, is this all just the message that we do once a, a year to give to the church? Right? I know we talked about a new building recently. Is this part of that? <laughs> no, it's part of our sermon series, right? Jesus talks about this, so we talk about this. But, but our inner defense attorney pops up in this moment and says, hey, well, do, do I really have to be generous? I mean, in the real world, you have to accumulate and compile the win. I mean, Tim, I know you're a pastor. You don't know about the real world. But I do. And in the real world, we have to compile, we have to accumulate, or someone else will, and they'll win and we'll lose. So we all have this inner defense attorney, and if you don't think you have that, that's your inner defense attorney, right? We all have this. And so Jesus is going to get to the heart. This is what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? No matter what the topic is, he doesn't want just our head, our hands, he doesn't want just our information. He wants our inclination to change. He wants our transformation in regard to money. He wants our heart. And so verse 21, look at that verse. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's it. That's it. Jesus knows how money and possessions ultimately affect the heart. The heart in scripture is the center of your being. It's your emotions. It's your ability to reason. It's all of your works that extend out of that reason and emotions. This is your heart. And what Jesus says is that your treasure, or your heart rather, follows your treasure. That the things you treasure in life, if they're on the earth, that's where your heart goes. It follows it. 
If they're in heaven, if they're eternal and about the kingdom, then your heart follows that. And so Jesus is going beyond our inner defense attorney, beyond even money and possessions, and he's saying, I want your heart. And unless you will see money and possessions rightly, you won't surrender to me fully because your heart follows your treasure. And so Jesus in his grace is gonna show us a picture of what that can look like. Verse 22, look at that verse. It says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, there's so much we could say about this, but we got the kids in the service, and I want them to make it, and I want you to make it, okay? So here, here quite simply and short, this is an analogy, a picture Jesus is giving us that is showing that our eye is the window into our heart. And so as we talk about money and possessions and treasure on earth or in heaven, and you're thinking through, and listen, you should be thinking through, where am I laying up treasures? How am I displaying my treasure? How is my heart following after my treasure? Well, how do you know? Well, your eye is a window into your heart. So what are you looking at? What is your gaze fixed upon in life? Is it your career only? Is it your status only? Is it your wealth only? Is it the 401k, good things? Is it your savings account only? Is it those things above, over and above Jesus Christ? Where is your gaze focused? When you wake up in the morning, when you go to sleep at night, when you're stressed. Listen, in two weeks we're gonna talk about anxiety, just the fun topics continue, right? Money and anxiety, and these two really go together well. What do we stress about so often? How much money is in the checking account? What about the educational savings account for our kids? Man, everybody else has a new car. When are we going to get the minivan, right? The dream. For me, at least. I don't know. What do we stress about? So often it's money. So my wife do premarital counseling all the time with new couples that are getting married. We do marriage counseling with couples. And almost always, it may not be the root of the issue, but it's the fruit. It's money. And it reveals a lack of trust in God, and it's showing up all over the place in in money and wealth and possessions. Do we have enough? When will it be enough? And, And so Jesus paints this picture. Hey, if your eye is healthy, If you're looking at, gazing at, fixing your eyes on Jesus, on the kingdom, on eternal things, then your heart will follow after that. Your treasure will follow after that. And so what are you looking at? What is consuming your thoughts? What do you think about when you wake up, when you go to bed? That should tell you what you treasure. And you need to know this. It can only be one thing or the other. Verse 24 tells us this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Listen, money is a helpful resource, but it's a horrible God. It's a helpful resource. It can be used for amazing things in the kingdom that do have lasting weight, but it's a horrible God. You know the testimony you never hear 
You never hear someone at the end of their life stand up and say, you know, I went after wealth. I went after the career. I went after the possessions, the second house, the status symbols. I went after all of that at the expense of some really good things like my family and my faith. I went went after all of these things. And you know what? I don't regret it. I mean, at the end of my life, I mean, I don't regret it. Like, these things are amazing. I don't wish I would have spent more time with my kids or in God's word or investing into eternal things. I mean, I'm so happy with my, my, my shell collection, my, my gold, my money, my Ferrari, my job, my retirement. You know the testimony you never hear is that one. Like, I don't know if this show is still on TV, but true Hollywood stories. If it was still on, some of you are nodding your head, it still is, okay. If it's still on, you never hear that story, do you? You never hear somebody get up in church and talk about, you know what I'm really thankful for is greed. I mean, it's just really fulfilled my life in ways I didn't know. It's a story you never hear. You never hear that story in the Bible. Listen, God is gracious to us to teach us in this moment as Jesus preaches a sermon to us like I'm doing to you, but he's also gracious to show us through other people's lives how this works itself out. We see this in the life of Solomon, Old Testament. You guys know Solomon? Second king, second son, rather, of King David, third king of Israel. Second Chronicles tells us he had it all. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen. He had a throne, cups, steps, and even his shields were made of gold. It says in 2 Chronicles that gold for Solomon was as common as stone. Can you imagine? Solomon was the wealthiest king in the world. But listen to what Solomon himself says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 in the Old Testament. He says this, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. It doesn't amount to what we thought in the end. It does not count. I mean, good job, but it does not count. Solomon, the wealthiest king in the world, the pinnacle of wealth, it's vanity. You see, Jesus is the only one who's worthy of our worship. We can't worship money and God. We can't give 25% of ourselves to money and possessions and say, well, Jesus, I'm just going to get mine. And then, then I'll give and I'll be generous and I'll see money how you see it for eternal weight. But, but I just got to, my 25% right now, I'm in my earning years. I really got to do this thing. I'm in my college years. I really got to get ready. I'm in my retiring years. I mean, it's just kind of urgent. If I don't do this right now, it's never going to happen for me. And you got that 25% that's still worshiping, running after. Your gaze is set on money and possessions. And Jesus is going to say, no, no, not, not, not 75% and 25%, 100%. I want your whole heart. And again, some of us, that inner defense attorney, it's getting up right now, right? Hey, well, what about this situation? What about this circumstance? No, 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 he wants your heart, your whole heart. And listen, it's then in God's grace and his gift to us, it's then and only then. When we get to that point where we say, you know, I I need some things, but I know, Jesus, you're going to provide. And I'm going to trust you with my money and possessions 
When you get to that point, I'm going to worship you, not money and possessions. I'm going to worship you with my whole heart, 100%. When you get to that point, in God's grace, money and possessions can become a gift. But it's only when you realize, listen, that they're not a God. It's only when you realize they're a horrible God can they be a helpful resource. And so Jesus is taking us here. And so how do we respond to this? I think two key words, again, if you're taking notes, write these things down. Two key words is generosity and contentment. How do we respond to all this? Generosity and contentment. A pastor friend of mine says this. I think it's really helpful. He says, give first, save second, live on the rest. And so you, you give because Jesus has given you everything. Okay? You give because he is the gaze of your eyes but also your heart. And he's a generous giver. And so you want to be generous just like he is. And so we give. And so practically what that looks like for us, I've mentioned this before, personally for my family and I, we decided a few years back we want to give 10% off our gross. We just want to start there. And honestly, we would love for that to grow. But we just want to be generous. We want to build this into our life that we give. We lay up treasures not on the earth but in heaven. And we want to make that a consistent practice as we respond to what Jesus is talking about. Because, not listen, not just because it's a good thing to give, but because I know, listen, I know, just like you, I know that my heart follows my treasure. And so if I don't give, man, my heart's not going to be captivated by Jesus. If I don't give to eternal things, my heart's going to be captivated by lesser things. And so we want to make it a practice. And there's some seasons where we can't do that. There's some seasons we have to adjust. But that's our goal as a family. What's your goal? Do you have one? Have you thought this through? Have you thought about, where's your treasure going? How is that affecting your heart? An easy way to do this, an easy way to see where your gaze is so that you see where your heart is, like Jesus talks about, is just look at your bank account. Sometimes, there have been times in our lives, we look at our bank account, and our eyes and our heart tells us that we worship the chicken sandwich. There's a lot of Chick-fil-A in our checking account. We're like, okay, Chick-fil-A's not bad, but what are we doing, right? Where are we investing? What does that say about our heart and our treasure? Have you thought through that? As a person, as roommates, as a family, it doesn't have to look the same as it does for you as me. But you need to think through, how can I be generous, and then how can I be content? You see, money and possessions aren't bad. They just are bad when they're used for selfish gain. We need to use them, steward them for eternal impact. And so we give first, we still save, and we live on the rest. We're content. We don't have to have every new shiny thing that comes along. Why? Because we know, like Jesus said, those things are going to fade. Right? You're going to get a new toy And guess what, guys? LOL dolls, they're going to put out a new LOL doll. And then you're going to want that one, and you're going to throw the other one away. Or I am, right? (laughs) That's the way it works, right? So we give first, we save second, we live on the rest. That's some practicalities of how we respond to this. Uh, A couple ways I've seen this recently. One is our college students. Earlier this week, um, some of our college students got together on campus, and they gave away 39 root beer floats. Amen. Who doesn't love root beer floats, right? And they gave them away, listen, for eternal impact. They got together with some of these students who are enjoying their root beer float, right? And they said, hey, how can we pray for you? 
You know, we're from a church called Phoenix Bible Church, and a big deal for us is Jesus in the Bible, and that's why we, we call it that, and that's why we go to church there, and how can we pray for you? And Anna Robinson, our intern, so sweet, she sent me a picture of note cards, of things, of prayer requests that these other students gave them, and they were really heavy and serious things, and they got to pray with them in the midst of need. How? Because they leveraged money and possessions for eternal impact and not selfish gain, right? We have a Christmas event coming up. December 9th. We've done it every year as a church. And uh, if you don't know, it's right behind here in Garfield Elementary School District. And what we do is we get there and we put on display gifts and the gospel for a couple thousand kids who don't have either one of those things. Uh, A couple thousand kids who two years ago showed up at 4 a.m. for one gift. One gift. And so we're doing that again this year. So listen, we want to model the generous heart of God in this community, in this city. And so we're asking for 3,000 gifts to be donated. We'll start telling you more about this in a few weeks. Bibles to be donated, English, Spanish, the Action Bible for kids, the Jesus Storybook Bible. So we're working with other churches and asking people to drop stuff off in different parts of town. But we're asking you to do that, to be generous. These are a few ways we can be generous and content. The Boston Marathon, circling back to that. They didn't accept these finishes of the the Milwaukee Marathon runners that that had qualified for the Boston Marathon. They didn't accept them. They said, good job, but it does not count. But you know what they did do? They said, hey, I know that was really hard, but you're welcome to recover, run again, and maybe you'll qualify in a few months' time. I don't even know if that's possible, right? I don't know if I would be able to walk after a marathon, and, and they crushed it with this time, and, and they don't know if they're going to be able to do that again. But listen, here's the thing. They can at least try. There's another race coming. In a few years, there's another Boston Marathon qualifier. As hard as it is, they at least have another shot. Listen, in life, we get one. You get one life, one shot, and that's it. And so will you get to the end of life? And hear and realize, man, great job. There's some nice things. Good effort. Way to sacrifice. But it doesn't count. It doesn't matter. It doesn't add up to what you thought. What a tragedy that would be. Listen, Jesus and his grace comes alongside us in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I don't want that to be your story. That doesn't have to be your story that you can take the money and possessions that I've given you that are a gift and you cannot use them for yourself for selfish gain that will fade, but you can leverage them for the kingdom. Jesus in his grace calls you to that, but he also models it. You know, Jesus didn't hold on to his treasure. He gave it. He gave his life freely. Scripture says, for the joy set before him. And so Jesus calls you to do the same and he empowers you to do the same to give your life away, to give your money and possessions away for his kingdom and for your joy. That's the call. What if we responded that way? What if individuals in this room decided, started to walk through, how do I respond this way? What if our church collective decided to respond this way? What would God do with that? There's a lot of issues in our world today. There's a lot of issues in our government There's a lot of talk of 
tax breaks and policies. You know what would help a lot of issues in our world is if the church of Jesus Christ modeled the generosity of Jesus Christ. Amen? We can start there. Policies, tax cuts, we'll see. I don't know. But we can start here. Today, how are we generous like Jesus? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your grace to us this morning and giving us this this talk on a sensitive subject of money. There's so much more we could have said and so much more we could have gotten into, but God, I do pray that you would use these truths to work in us, but also work through us, that, that we wouldn't just hear some good things about money and possessions and laying up eternal treasures. We wouldn't just think about some good things. We wouldn't just feel some good things, but we would do some different things in our life because of these truths. That we would realize that that some of us, if we're honest, we're worshiping other things, that this is ultimately an issue of idolatry, that we need to, to give ourselves fully to you and let the money and possessions work themselves out how you want us to work themselves out. That we wouldn't resist that in this moment. We would trust you, follow you as our ultimate treasure because, Jesus, you're the only one who's worthy. You're the only one who has lasting joy, purpose, and meaning where we get to the end of life and we can say, thank God that I laid up treasures in heaven because it's worth it. God, I pray that that would be our story. I pray that that would be the story of the individuals in this room, of the families in this room, of the church in this room. Father, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.